to really understand Jeremiah 29, 11, you have to understand the rest of Jeremiah 29. And then when you do that, then you really understand just how wonderful the promise of it is. So let's jump back up to verse 1 and see where this promise comes from. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, now stop there for just a second. Let's just look at the heading. You get to this section of the prophecy, and there's this kind of block quote heading to tell you what you're next about to read. Jeremiah has control C, control V. He's copied his letter to the exiles in Babylon and pasted it into his prophecy, his book that he's given to us. He wrote this letter sometime in around after 597 B.C. That's when Nebuchadnezzar deported that first group of exiles, including King Jehoiachin and his mother, whose name 2 Kings tells us was Nehushta, and a bunch of the other leaders and the, the elite, the, the, the leaders of the people. There was at least 3,000 of them. They had been drug off to Babylon against their will. And at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar had installed Jehoiachin's uncle Zedekiah onto the throne as the king of Judah. And then he said, I want to hear from you, King Zedekiah. I want progress reports about how things are going in Judah. So King Zedekiah has to send some kind of an official delegation to Babylon. And a guy, he sends a guy named Elisa and a guy named Jemariah. And as they're headed out of town, Jeremiah comes up to them and he says, hey guys, can you take this letter with you while you're going there? And, and, and could you pass this on to any of the elders of the people who've survived? Because I know it's been a terrible journey. At least 700 miles. 3,000 people drug along. And the, and the older, older folks that were in charge, if any of them are living, would you give them this letter to read to the people? And they did. It's a lot like one of the Apostle Paul's letters, isn't it? A letter coming from the words, with afar, from, with the words of God through his spokesman to his people. An official letter from a prophet to these people who had been through so, so much. See, these people were not on a vacation. These people had not said, you know where I want to live? Babylon. Let's move there. Load up the U-Haul. They'd been drugged to Babylon. And they're living there against their will. And Jeremiah has written them a letter and he sent it in the diplomatic pouch to the elders what does the letter say? Well, we know what it's going to say. It's going to say the Lord knows his plans for them. 
And it's going to say that they're good plans. And they are shalom plans. And they are hopeful plans. Plans for a hope and a future. That's what the letter's going to say. But that's not the first thing that he says in his letter. The first thing he says is basically, don't get excited, guys. You're going to be there a while. Look at verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What a phrase, huh? Wasn't it Nebuchadnezzar that took them into exile? The Lord says he is the one who sent them into exile. He's got a message for them. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. I've got three points of application that I want to draw out of this chapter this morning for us. And here's the first one. If I had a PowerPoint, it'd be back up here on the screen behind me. Here's number one. Invest while you wait for his plan. Invest while you wait for his plan. The Lord has good plans for his people, but they are future plans. And he has things that he wants them to do while they wait for that hopeful future to come. In the case of these exiles, he wants them to settle down as residents of Babylon. I almost titled this message, Settle Down. Settle Down. Or like the British poster from World War II, keep calm and carry on, right? This was not going to be just a little, short little exile. Like the late prophet Hananiah had predicted last week in chapter 28. Remember what he, how many years did he say it was going to be? Two, right? Hananiah was like, two years and it's over. We'll be good. But the Lord says, build houses plant gardens, plan to eat from those gardens, get married, don't wait for the exile to end to get married, get married now, have kids, have them get married, have them get married. Some of you are just having kids right now and saying they're going to get married and then it says have them have kids and verse 6 it says increase in number there in Babylon. Now that sounds good, and it is good. The Lord is promising to prosper them right where they are. The blessings of the Abrahamic covenant are still in place, even if they're in exile. They're to be fruitful and increase and not decrease. But they're still in exile. And it's not going to be just... Two years and done. I'm certain that they were not happy to read these words. Oh, Jeremiah sent a letter? What's it say? Sit tight. It's going to be a while. Uh. 
maybe your grandkids will get to come home. See, that's the context that verse 11 shows up in. When you read it all by yourself, you're not getting that. These refugees are being told that they are going to stay refugees. They're going to be semi-permanent residents in the land of their captors for three generations. And then he says something that would have been even harder for them to receive. Look at verse 7. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait, what? You want me to do what? You're not just telling me to endure the next 70 years living among these people who who brought us here against our will. You're asking me to seek their shalom? Their shalom? That's the Hebrew word under the words in the NIV, peace and prosperity, in verse 7. The Israelites were supposed to seek the shalom of Babylon. Mm. That's a new one. Up until now, they were supposed to pray for the shalom of Jerusalem, right? Read Psalm 122 this afternoon. Pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. But now the Lord wants them to pray for the shalom of Babylon. He says, pray to the Lord for it, Babylon, because if it shaloms, you too will shalom. Jeremiah is finally prophesying about peace. Up until now, it's been the bad prophets who have been talking about peace. Peace, peace, on their lips, right? Shalom, shalom, where there is no shalom. How many times have we heard that in the last six months? But now Jeremiah is talking about shalom. He says that the exiles should seek the shalom of Babylon to invest in their neighborhood while they're stuck there. We might say, bloom where you're planted, even in hostile soil. This is the closest thing in the Old Testament that the Old Testament has to our, new, our Lord's New Testament teaching to love, pray for, and bless our enemies, which I think is his hardest command. The Lord knows his good plans for his people in the future, but while they're waiting, they're supposed to invest in their hostile neighborhoods. And I think that's a good model for you and me to think about how we live in modern day America. Just like we learned last year in 1 Peter, we're exiles too, aren't we? We're refugees. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, living here as ongoing residents in the kingdoms of this world. This world is not our home, but right now it is where we have our homes. So what should we do? Invest. Seek the shalom of our families. And seek the shalom of the city where we're stuck right now. Don't get too comfortable, but also dig in and be good residents and love our neighbors, even if they're not very lovable. Can you imagine how they must have felt getting these instructions from their Lord? You want me to what? Do you know what these people have done to my family? 
And now you want me to seek their shalom, their well-being, their peace, their prosperity? You want me to pray for Babylon? Lord bless Babylon? Ugh, I can't say that. Some of you had a hard time praying for President Trump and America under his administration. Many of you are having a hard time praying for President Biden and America under his administration. You feel like he's Nebuchadnezzar and you're living in Babylon. Well, I think that's not a bad way to think about it. President Biden may not be a Nebuchadnezzar, but we are living in a Babylon. We're not home yet. We never have been. Not until King Jesus returns. But that doesn't mean that we throw up our hands and quit. It means that we roll up our sleeves and dig in. We invest while we wait. We pray for the shalom of our neighborhood, even if it's a hostile neighborhood. Now, of course, we don't pray that the evil things that our neighbors plan will succeed. That'd be wrong. But we do pray that our neighborhood knows shalom. Does that make sense? Does that give you ideas about how to live in the here and the now? Jeremiah says that when we pray for shalom for our hostile neighbors, then we will experience shalom ourselves. If Babylon is blessed, then the people who are forced to live in Babylon will be blessed along the way. I think that's the kind of logic that the Apostle Paul was using in 1 Timothy chapter 2 when he urged prayer for the oppressive Roman government. He wrote there, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, even Nero, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Lord knows his good plans for us and his good plans for us include our investing where we are while we wait for his good plans to come to fruition because it's gonna be a while. Now, of course, that's not what they wanted to hear. And they still had people around them ready to tell them what they did want to hear. They still had plenty of people ready to feed them lies. Look at verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. There he goes again, right? With that do not listen stuff. How many times has he said that? How many times have we heard that this fall? Do not listen. And notice what they're not supposed to listen to. They're not supposed to listen to the dreams, what? You encourage them to have. See, those prophets wouldn't have those dreams if they weren't the dreams that you were encouraging them to have. If you keep paying the prophets to tell you what you want to hear, guess what they're going to do? Tell you what you want to hear. Like we said last week, do not listen to those who only tell you what you want to hear. The dreams you encourage them to have. 
He's gonna say more about that as this chapter ends. But now we're getting back to the good stuff. We've almost reached verse 11. Here's what the Lord is saying to them. Don't listen to that other stuff. Whether you, they want to hear it or not, this is the truth, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see what this verse is talking about in the first instance? It's talking about the return of God's people from their exile from Babylon. Those are the good plans. When 70 years are up, same 70 years that he talked about a couple weeks ago, chapter 25, when 70 years are up, the Lord is going to visit his people and bring them home again. He knows this. He knows his plan. He hasn't forgotten it. He hasn't abandoned it. It's going to feel like it. Sometimes it feels like the Lord has forgotten his plan for us. For these guys, they, they probably felt like they'd been dropped into Siberia without a compass or a backpack or a satellite phone. And they're not a survivalist like Andrew or, or John over here. They're, they're like, ooh, dropped into Siberia with a backpack, with just a backpack. Oh, I'd like to try that. Not me. That's how the exiles felt. Lost and alone and forgotten. But he says, no, I know the plans I have for you. And he's actually shared those plans with them. These are not secret plans that he doesn't tell anybody about. He's got those. I, I sometimes would love to get a peek at the secret plans, but he doesn't tell us those. These are the revealed plans. He's straight up told them what to expect here, hasn't he? 70 years and then home, right? 70 years and then home. I know the plans I have for you, and now you do too. 70 years, and then home. You know who took those plans to the bank? The prophet Daniel. This afternoon, read Daniel chapter 9 to see how Daniel prayed using these 70 years. He knew the 70 years were almost up, and so he started to pray. Lord, you said 70 years. I believe you. Daniel knew that the Lord knew what he was planning. And he believed that what he was planning was good. It was for their shalom and not for their harm. And it was for a hopeful future in the land. So how should the exiles respond to that? The Lord says how in Jeremiah's letter. He says, in fact, how they will respond. Look at verse 12. Then... You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Application point number two, which would be up on the screen if I'd remember to give you a PowerPoint. Pursue the planner with all your heart. Pursue the planner, the Lord, with all your heart. He knows the plan and it's good so seek him the Lord told the exiles that they could pray to him even from Babylon that's good news you don't have to be in Israel you don't have to be at the temple you can seek him anywhere anywhere in the world even in Babylon 
And if you seek him, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. Are you pursuing the Lord? Are you chasing after him? Are you calling upon him and praying to him? That's what he wants. Did you open your Bible this week and go looking for him? Did you get on your knees and talk to him? Calling on his name. The Lord loves to be pursued. The planner loves to be pursued. And it's so good for us when we do. He says, if we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all our hearts. Of course, that's the exact opposite of what Judah has been doing. If they had been doing that, then they wouldn't have been exiled to Babylon in the first place. This is going to take a change of heart. It's going to take repentance. But the Lord says he's going to affect that in their hearts. And when he does, they'll be coming home again. Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Sounds to me like he knows the plans he has for them. Am I right? Point number three and last, and yeah, I'd be up here on the screen if I'd remember to give you a PowerPoint. Trust in his plan and no one else's. Trust in his plan. He knows his plan. It's a good plan. It's a hopeful plan. It's a shalom plan. So trust in that and not anyone else's big plan for your life. Now again, Judah, unlike you and me, were not all excited about Jeremiah 29, 11. They didn't put it on wall hangings because of the context that it was in, mainly because it seemed so far off. And they had other prophets around that had a more favorable timetable than Jeremiah did. And prophets who didn't require so much repentance. Look at verse 15. You may say, He's thinking about how they're going to respond to his letter. You may say the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is, what the, this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your countrymen who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them. And I will make them like poor figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth and an object of cursing and horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Last Sunday, Katie Hurley told me the idea that comes into her mind when I talk about Jeremiah being a broken record about the broken covenant and how the people refused to listen. 
Katie said that it's like Jeremiah was an alarm clock, saying, it's time to wake up and repent. And the people of Judah kept hitting the snooze button. Amen? That's really good theology, Katie. Excellent theology. Good job. I don't want to listen to that, snooze. I don't want to wake up, snooze. I don't want to repent, snooze. That's a terrible way to live. Not listening to the plan of the Lord, but listening to someone else's plan instead. The Lord says that those who have been hitting the snooze button were the bad figs. Remember that from chapter 24, the bad figs? That were going to be thrown out. Sword, famine, plague. Sword, famine, plague. How many times has he said that in Jeremiah? Sword, famine, plague. And those who sold them this bag of lies will also be thrown out. That's the point of verses 20 through 32. Look at verse 20. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I've sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Coliah, and Zedekiah, son of Maasiah, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. I will hand them over to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. The Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and in my name have spoken lies, which I did not tell them to do. I know it and am a witness to it, declares the Lord. Now, these two men are not the kings, Ahab and Zedekiah, but two prophets named perhaps after the kings, King Ahab, or prophet Ahab and prophet Zedekiah. And they were prophesying lies and living shameful lives. And the Lord knew it. They were hitting the snooze button and they were encouraging others to hit the snooze button too. And the Lord knew it. Did you see that in verse 24? I know it and I'm a witness to it. Just like he knows the plans for his people, he also knows our wicked hearts and deeds and the lies we believe and tell. He knows it and is a witness to it. And one day, he will fix it. The people of Judah in exile should have excused, no, not excused, executed this Ahab and Zedekiah for being false prophets under Deuteronomy chapter 13. But the Lord says that he will see to it himself and he'll use Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish it. Nebuchadnezzar is the Lord's unwitting servant after all. You see, Nebuchadnezzar likes to throw people into a fiery furnace. Didn't work against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it will work against Ahab and Zedekiah. And rightfully so. And we should take a lesson. That's where false prophets end up with their damnable lies that we are so tempted to believe. The chapter ends with another false prophet, Shemaiah. And just like Uriah and Hananiah the last couple weeks and Ahab and Zedekiah this week, this is another prophet who only makes one appearance in the whole Bible. And it's right here in this chapter. Shemaiah lives in Babylon at this point. He's in exile. He's a recipient of the letter. 
Jeremiah lives in Jerusalem right now. He's not in exile. He's a sender of the letter. Jeremiah has sent letters to Babylon with prophecy in them and notes about Shemaiah. Shemaiah sends letters to Jerusalem with prophecy in them and notes about Jeremiah. Look at verse 24. Tell Shemaiah the Nehalamite, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. You sent letters in your own name to all the people in Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, son of Maasiah, the priest, and to all the other priests. You said to Zephaniah, the Lord has appointed you priest in place of Jehoiada to be in charge of the house of the Lord. You should put any madman who acts like a prophet into the stocks and neck irons. So why have you not reprimanded Jeremiah from Anatoth, who poses as a prophet among you? Strong words, huh? He's trying to get Jeremiah into trouble. He, Jeremiah, has sent this message to us in Babylon. It will be a long time. Therefore, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. What's that? That's verse 4, right? Shemaiah is complaining about the letter Jeremiah sent to the people in Babylon. He's giving a negative review of that letter to the priest in charge of the temple, hoping to get Jeremiah up on charges of treason. Verse 29. Zephaniah the priest, however, read the letter to Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, send this message to all the exiles. Another letter. This is what the Lord says about Shemaiah the Neelamite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, even though I did not send him, and has led you to believe a lie, this is what the Lord says, I will surely punish Shemaiah, the Nelamite, and his descendants. He will have no one left among this people, nor will he see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against me. See, Shemaiah was preaching the message everyone wanted to hear. Even though he was in exile, he was preaching that the exile was going to be short and that they didn't need a change of heart. They just needed a rescue. They just needed God to show up. He was saying that Jeremiah was a crazy man in rebellion against Judah. But it was Shemaiah that was in rebellion against the Lord. It sounded good, but it was all wrong. Does that make sense? The Lord was saying that his people should trust in his plan and not anyone else's. That's hard when God's plans seem to include so much tough stuff, right? I mean, a lot of people take this one verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, out of context and twist it to make it seem like God has a plan for you and it won't include anything bad. You ever heard anybody say that? Like, he knows the plans he has for you. Plans not for your harm, but for your shalom. So it's, if you belong to the Lord, it's all smooth sailing from here on out. Jeremiah 29, 11 teaches no such thing. This is not a prosperity gospel, even though the word prosper is right there in it. The prospering is down the line. The perfect shaloming is still to come. It's in the future. These words were written to a people who were foreigners in a foreign land there against their will. It didn't seem like it was all shalom and no harm. So there were other voices that wanted to sneak in and tell them that God's plan is no good. And their plan is so much better. They might even call it God's plan. Don't listen to them. 
Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. The Lord knows his plans for his people. They are plans for shalom and not for harm. They are plans to give us a hope and a future forever. Shemaiah, verse 32, was not going to see the good things. That's the good plans that the Lord had for his people because he was preaching his own. You and I need to put our faith in God's good plan and then wait to see it come to pass. Invest in your neighborhood while you wait for his plan. Seek the planner with your whole heart and trust in his plans and no one else's. There's a reason why this verse is so beloved. It's because the Lord's plans for his people are just so good. They're so counterintuitive. Who would have guessed that his plans would have involved the death of his own son on his behalf, on on our behalf? Because that's what it took. Plans not for harm, and yet Jesus was harmed. Plans for our peace, because he made peace with God for us. We could experience the shalom of God because the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the wonder of it all. The Celebration Choir has prepared a special number to bask in the wonder of God's loving plans for us. The song says, oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. Just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. Just to think that God knows the plans he has for you and me.